0: James chapter 5, beginning to read at verse 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. Go to now, ye rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that are come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you. And ye shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton, Ye have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive The early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Let us pray. Father, we pray your word this evening will again lodge in every heart. We pray, O God, that you would inscribe it in every mind it within our inner being. We pray, O oh God, you would always bring it to our remembrance by your Spirit. And Father, tonight we ask you that you would bless this company of people who faithfully have turned up again into this tent under this roof to worship you and to hear your word. We pray, Father, tonight that you would remember and look upon the youth down in Guildford, In our church building, Lord, we pray that you would help them to minister. And as they minister, may they minister and learn to do so unto you, to worship you. And Lord, as the word is brought forth to them, we pray, Lord, that it would reach every single heart of them. Bless the leaders and the teachers and all who are with them to help them. And we ask you, Father, also, Lord, that you would just bless and encourage Roy and as he's in the hospital at this time. And Lord give him a speedy recovery. Now we pray Father. And shut us in with yourself. Even as Andrew has prayed earlier. Make your word come alive. To each and every one of us. And help us to see what is happening in our world. And be watching and waiting. And praying and ready and prepared. For the coming of the Lord. at draweth nigh. So glorify your son tonight. And hide this man. We ask it. For Jesus' name's sake and for Jesus' glory alone. Amen. Amen. Tonight the title is The Elitist, The Greediest, and The Godless at the Coming of the Lord. Verse 1 starts with, Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. James is the half-brother, the younger brother of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the son of Joseph with Mary, where Jesus is the son of God of a virgin Mary. Jesus showed himself to James after his resurrection because James, his half-brother, didn't really believe in him. And we're told in 1 Corinthians 15 after the resurrection of our Lord Jesus that he showed himself to so many others and 500 at one time, we're told. But it says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 7, after that he was of James or seen of James, then of all the apostles. So Jesus went to his half-brother to reveal that he was resurrected from the dead. And now he is, if you want, the bishop of the Jerusalem church. This same James is speaking to scattered Israelites and to Christian Israelites, and in particular to those who have come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in chapter 5 of his book, speaking to, and I'll put it into brackets if you want at the moment, rich men. He calls them to take notice. He calls them to awaken and to remember that one day they will, even as we all will, stand before God. The call of James to these rich men is due to the thought that in Jewish society, if you were rich, very rich, if you were rich then, you had God's favor in the sense that you were basically a saved man if you want to put it in those terms, a saved woman. And in society, if you were rich and you were Jewish, then you had God's blessing and all others under you were your minions. And this is their thinking of the day in their society. They equated Yahweh's blessing to salvation and was easier to obtain for them because God must already love you. Think of you and has chosen you before and above all others. And that's their thinking. But James is writing after being looking at this, his brother, the Lord Jesus. Risen from the dead. Putting his trust in him and he's saying, ye rich men. He says, ye say you're rich and you think that's enough for you to enter heaven as it were. He's saying, you will stand before God. Now notice this. First of all, he rebukes them as a warning that they must have complete and full dependence on God and in particular in our Lord Jesus Christ. And secondly, that they must not live an independent life nor lifestyle away from God because they have the comforts and the riches around them. In fact, they must never trust in their abundance to get them favor with God. Now, God is not against rich men. Let me put that straight before we go any further. Especially men who have worked hard and labored and have made a life for themselves and their family. Built up businesses. If we were to be against every rich man, we'll sure we might as well be communists. God is not against rich men. James is not against rich men. I'm going to explain it to you in a moment. And the Lord Jesus was not against rich men. Even his uncle, Joseph of Arimathea, was a very rich man. Very well thought of. In fact, Joseph of Arimathea was a tin merchant. And he came and sailed to the, uh, the southern coasts of England there to the Mendip Hills to mine the tin. And there, uh, Joseph would have been a a trader going up and down throughout the Mediterranean with all of this tin. He was very, very rich. And so Jesus is not against someone being rich. It's what they place and think of it before God. And it's what they do with it. It was James who wrote in chapter 1, if you will, if you want to turn with me, and in verse 17... James wrote, Every good and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So James is saying, every gift that we have, whether from the poorest to the richest, everything that we have, even our very employment, our homes, everything is ultimately a gift from God. Our family, our children, our health is a gift from God. And so James is saying, not that all rich men were wicked, but rather he's saying it's what rich men think of Christ and what they do with it. James is putting forth three quick facts here for you. First of all, James is saying that God gives and owns all. i say it again. God gives and owns all. And what sort of steward that person is with what he has given them is what matters. Here's the thing, brother and sister, whether we are just working class people or whether we were rich, What what have you done with what God has given you? Even if you have nothing but little, what have you done with what God has given you? What type of steward have you been with the blessings that God has bestowed upon you? Secondly, do not trust in wealth or riches, James is telling us. You cannot take them with you. And listen, we all need our comforts. We all like them. We all need to survive. We all need to live. This is not about that. But it's placing anything, even job, before the things of God. Even your job before the things of God. Notice what he says in our reading, if you will, turn to it. Chapter 5 and verse 2 and 3. He says, your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and ye shall eat your flesh as it were fire and ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. And what James is saying is really what you have and what God has blessed you with you can't take with you. There's an old saying uh, and I'm sure many of you know it, and there are no pockets in a shroud. There are no pockets in a shroud. Thirdly, James is saying God's blessings in this life does not equate to salvation in the next. God's blessing in this life does not equate to salvation in the next. God blesses. The Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And it does not equate, for this was the mindset in the day of the Lord Jesus among the the Jews of his day. That if you were extremely wealthy, everyone was beneath you. You treated them like that. You stamped on them. You tramped on them. You walked past them. You didn't bother with them. In fact, you lorded over them. And they were certainly God's elite as the elitists and God's elect because they had so much of their wealth. But you cannot take it with you and the blessing of God does not equate to salvation in the next. You cannot pay your way to heaven. You cannot pay your way into the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter how much we would give to charity. It doesn't matter how much you pay into the church. It doesn't matter what you try to give for your salvation. You cannot pay your way into the kingdom of God. And hence, James is looking, but we're going to look at the higher echelons soon of society and the elitists. These were, as it were, the elitists in jury, J-E-W-R-Y, in the day of James. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18, listen to what it says. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. Brothers, see the job that you took and you, you took it at the expense of Christ. It was him that gave you it. Sisters, see the position you took and you took it at the expense of following Christ. It was him who gave you the abilities the Lord says you remember it came from me every gift and every talent it comes from the Lord notice but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day so remember all your abilities are from him every good and every perfect gift. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 28. Listen to what it says. He that trusteth in riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. Now if you're speaking of the righteous, surely the opposite is unrighteous, the unrighteous. Righteousness, unrighteousness. But here in Proverbs 12 and 28, they don't put it like that. And he that trusteth in riches shall fall. Notice the one who's placing it before God. And again, you can place it with yourself or myself or all others, whether it's whatever that we place before the Lord, before walking with him, he says it will fall. Notice, but the righteous the righteous. Those who are right with God. Those in the new covenant have the righteousness of Christ. Are clothed with Christ's righteousness. Because they have come to the cross by faith and trusted in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we got saved and when we became born again of the Spirit, we came to the cross. We came and we trusted in Christ alone. And by faith we were cleansed in its fullness because Christ has paid the debt and he gave us his righteousness for he alone was righteous. But there are those who trust in the gifts, the talents, the labor, the work, the job, the security, and everything is before God. It will fall. It will come down round you because it's God who gave you the power to get wealth. So, for example, in Mark chapter 4 and verse 19. I'm going to bring you somewhere in a moment, so stay with me. Mark chapter 4 and verse 19. In this chapter, the Lord Jesus is giving uh, the parable of the sower sowing the seed. There's four parcels of ground in the chapter. We won't read it all, but just going to read a verse or so here. And it says, as the sower is sowing the seed, and the seed is the word of God, remember? The good seed is the word of God. I'm the sower tonight. The seed will fall the four parcels of ground. It will fall on the wayside, stony ground, among thorns, on good ground. I'm trusting tonight it will fall on good ground, that people will hear Receive and believe, walk and act in it. But notice what the Lord says in Mark four and verse nineteen. This is the the seed which falls among thorny ground. He says, "On the cares of this world, notice on the deceitfulness of riches, on the lusts of other things." Want to read it again? On the cares of this world, on the deceitfulness of riches. And the lusts of other things entering in choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And there are people who have made a profession for Christ, and they have become fruitful in the world in the sense where they have gained riches, position, they have gained high jobs with position, and all of that, and everything else, and the cares of the world. It means caring for things beyond measure before God. It comes and chokes the life of the word in you. And what happens? You fall away from God. I'm talking to someone who has been choked recently. Or maybe you're being choked now by the cares of this world. The deceitfulness of the riches, the lusts of other things. I knew a man and he's close to me so I, don't, I want to be careful what I say. I, mean, I don't mean close to me sitting here. I mean close to me. Family wise. And he was doing so well in God. I mean, he was he was on fire at one time doing so well. And this company hunted him. And he joined this company. He got big promotion. And he started doing well there and he went up the ladder. Listen, and I'm all for people getting promotion. Don't get me wrong. We're trying to get things in order just. And he got promotion. I was proud of him. Thought it was great. Then another company head hunted him. And he went on to another. And he stood giving his testimony one night and he said, I remember one time I was sitting in a five star hotel in Switzerland. And I was taking the champagne, looking out the bedroom window with the Alison tells me off, I call it a house coat. Uh, what do you call it? A dressing gown. Belfast, it's a house coat. Who's heard house coat before? Thank you. Oh, praise the Lord. I thought I was on my own. Hallelujah. Uh, but there's house coat. She's not here then. She's down with the youth. But there's house coat on. this is bottle of champagne. He did all the room service. World at his feet. It's his oyster. He's looking out and he says, I felt so unhappy because he walked away from God. He walked away from God and he made a decision he wanted to follow hard after him. And he even left all behind him, all of that behind him. He started serving God and he was going great until he was headhunted again. And now he runs a company I think there's only one above him in the whole of the UK and Ireland. And again, the riches took him away. Choked them. Took him away. Brothers and sisters, let us be careful that we're not looking to these things. Because that is, in our title this evening, it is the, the elitist, the greediest, and the ungodly. The coming of the Lord. three quick portions. We'll not turn to all of them because we take too long. We want to look at this. Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, we have the man who has a great harvest and he can't fit it into his barns because he has such a great harvest and crop to bring in. And he says, I know I'll pull down my barns and build greater so he can get it all in. There's nothing wrong with this. But then we see where he goes wrong. Luke 12, and it says in verse 19, listen to what his words are. He's got it all in on the barn. He stands back and he's looking at his accomplishments. And yet it is a fruit of the ground, and it is the Lord who gave him the the power to get this wealth. It is the Lord who brought in all of this crop for him. It is the Lord who enabled him with strength to work the land. It was the Lord that done it. The Lord that gave him. The Lord that grew the very crop he cut down. The Lord that blessed him with everything. And Luke 12 and verse 19, listen to what he says. I will say to my soul, in other words, my very innermost man, the seed of my emotions and passions and all that I am inside, I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And the word will say, well, what's wrong with that? He's worked hard. There's nothing wrong with that working hard. It's what he's saying now is the problem. It's where his Heart is. He worked hard, but it's where his heart is. Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Eat, drink, and be merry. Notice verse 20. But God said unto him, But God said unto him, Thy fool, Thy fool, This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose things be which thou hast provided. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself. And is not rich toward God. Now listen brothers and sisters. I'm not preaching this in order for you to give me your money. I don't preach money and you know that. Never preach money. The Lord meets the needs that we have. I don't preach money. All we do is lift an offering. So I'm not talking to us about money. I'm not saying you have to give everything up and go away and do something uh, unless the Lord tells you to do that. But what I'm saying is here, this man's heart had turned from God and I feel tonight that this is, as it were, a prophetic witness to some of us in here tonight. Whether it be your job and your heart has turned from God, he's saying, you are being foolish. What if God said this night your soul would be required of you? What does he mean about your soul would be required? He says you think of all this time. I hast much goods set up for, listen, many years. For many years. Take thine ease, Eat, drink, be merry. Let's party it up. Let's live it up. Sure I'm only here going through this way once. And that's the world. I done it for years. Not condemning. I done it. But God said to him, Thy fool! The man didn't know it was his last night on earth. The man didn't know it was his last night to live. This night, thy soul will be required of thee. And then, paraphrasing, who's going to take all of that then? You can't take it with you. And Jesus says, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself. Notice, and is not rich toward God. Usually, as I said, it's the, at the expense of God. The Lord's saying, you're not rich toward me. It's like the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3, the last end, the last days church, which we live in, this church age and era. The Laodicean church, which makes Jesus want to vomit. Lord Jesus says to the Laodicean church, He says, Thou sayest, I am rich and increase with goods and of need of nothing. Speaking to the church today, Thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and in need of nothing. And knowest thou not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's what he says to the church. Can't you see it coming true the more and more the more you see that the word of God isn't being preached and taught. Can't you see it more and more when you hear of all the fads that the church is going through and all the things that they're allowing in and all of those things that should be put outside and out of the world preached against Not brought in and taught and helped and, and nourished along. Jesus says, this church, it means they were lukewarm. He says, oh, art neither cold nor hot. You make me want to spew you out of my mouth, he says. Such is the church today. Are you rich toward God, brothers and sisters, friend? Do you know the Lord? Do you know the Lord? In Psalm 52 and verse 7, listen, you think the Lord Jesus could possibly be relating to this psalm as he's telling this parable. Psalm 52 and verse 7, the psalmist said a thousand years previous or so, Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. In other words, here's your elitist, here's your greediest, and here's your ungodly. So secondly, in Luke chapter 16, there is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, this parable, I've taught it quite a while ago, but this parable, uh, we know people say it's about heaven and hell and that sort of thing. But listen, I I don't want to go into all of that tonight. Here's what I want you to think of. Maybe teach on it sometime. This parable speaks of the two houses of Israel. Lazarus is the man landed the, outside the, the poor man, Israel, who were cast in, cast away around 745 to 721 B.C. The northern kingdom had no temple, they had no true worship, they had no true kings, they were the poor man of the Israelite nations. Lazarus is the rich man of Judah, the southern kingdom, had the temple and the Torah and the Tanakh. All of the scrolls, they had all of the leadership that they wanted. God had blessed them with it, and the the Judaites then became mixed with Esau, Edom, John Hyrcanus uh, uh, around the time of the Maccabean revolt, before the time of the Lord Jesus. But after the time of the book of uh, the Old Testament, book of Malachi, in that break of about four hundred years, there were the wars of the Jews. Josephus, the Jewish historian, speaks about it. And in that time, there was John Hyrcanus, this champion, who who fought for uh, the Jews. They overcame the Esau element, Edom, you call them. And he forcibly made them all but turn to Jewry. And hence, these were Jews who, who who say they're Jews, but they're not Jews. These were Jews who were Edomites. And then, of course, in about... Stretching my brain here... Uh, the 8th century there was a king called King Bulan and King Bulan was way up north really where Khazaria is uh, around way up north past Turkey and up around that area and Khazaria with the king was called Bulan and Bulan wanted a national, um, a national religion and he looked at Islam and he looked at Christianity and he says no they're fighting against each other I don't want to get involved and he brought up the Jews, their priests and they said well, here, here's what our religion is. And he took it on and forced converted all of those of Caesarea under him to become Jews. So they become known as Jews and they're not off Israel. They're not true Israelites. And this whole mixture starts to happen. And that's why we have people like uh, Judas Iscariot who betrayed our Lord. That's why we have Herod the Great who was a Edomite, yet he was Jewish to his religion. I don't want to go too far into it. I don't want to boggle the mind. But in this time, this whole mixture of a hodgepodge is there. And Judah becomes the rich man. But it becomes more Jewry. Those who are, if you want, this hodgepodge of of people. Claiming that they're Jews. And they had the temple, the Torah, the Tanakh. And then, of course, they had the Talmud, which says our Lord Jesus is burning an excrement in hell. They had all of these teachings from Babylon. And the Lord Jesus is saying, he's telling this parable, this rich man dies. He doesn't die and go to hell because he's rich. It's because he doesn't know Christ. And he's saying, that, that, that later the Jews were scattered all over the world and he's in, they're, they're in like a living hell, as it were. That's the, uh, the idea of the parable. I don't want to go any further into it because there's too much te- te- teaching in it. But the Lord Jesus is saying here in Luke 16 and verse 19 There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Verse 25 We're told that he dies Lazarus dies One is in hell and torments and one is in Abraham's bosom. Notice and it says But Abraham said to the rich man. The rich man said, let Lazarus come and dip his finger in this fire and cool my tongue with the water. He says, I'm tormented down here. the Lord Jesus tells the parable, says, but Abraham said, son, remember that in thy lifetime receiveth the good things. And hence you can see, because of Jewry, they thought if you're rich, then you're God's. But there was a whole amalgamation of people there at the time. Many of them called Jews, but not of Israel. And notice here, the Lord Jesus is saying, you had everything, every chance. You had the temple, you had the proper lineage of the king, the tribe of Judah, the lineage of David, you had the Torah, you had the Tanakh, and then you bring in the devilish Balm- Bal- uh, Babylonian Talmud, start going wrong so far that they even crucify the Christ. He says in your lifetime you received the good things he didn't. Now he wasn't in hell because he received good things. And Lazarus was in heaven because he, uh, or Abraham's bosom, because he received bad things. You don't go to heaven or hell because you're good or bad or what you receive in this earth. So that's why you have to dissect this parable because some people put it like that and it's just not true. If you could go, if you could be rich and go to heaven and pay your way, then all you need to do is to join a church and keep paying money in. Lord, I'm doing this for you. I'm paying to get my loved ones out of purgatory or I'm paying to do this or that or the other. And it doesn't work because there's no such place. I'm paying into the church that I'll be in heaven if I die. And listen, brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus is telling the parable and the man says, will you send one of my brothers down that they may go, or you let one of my brothers know, pardon me, that they may go and tell the others. And the Lord Jesus says, even if one rose from the dead, they won't believe. And he rose from the dead and they wouldn't believe. Notice, some are given prosperity and position And they serve self and are not rich toward God. For some, I want you to get this. For some, this is the only blessing they will ever have. And it's temporal in this life. For they will place their all on that and disregard Christ. I don't care how holy we think we are at times we can all get to the place where our heart runs after this or that or the other or him or her you can run after people after things that you want to do and you you can run after job to make more money listen and there's nothing wrong with making more money please don't get me wrong but it's at the expense of Christ it's at the expense of the gospel. It's the expense of your faithfulness toward the Lord. Thirdly, Matthew nineteen, we have a parable of the rich young ruler. this rich young ruler, this rich young man comes to the Lord Jesus. And I'm paraphrasing for a time, he says, good master, what good thing must I do? Notice, what good thing must I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. He gives him some commandments. He says, all these have I kept from my youth up, which is a lie already. It's wrong, he hasn't. None could. Then he says, what else do I need to do? He says, take what you have, sell it, give to the poor, and so forth. Now this young man comes, and in verse 19 it says, there was a certain rich man, which was, oh, pardon me, that's the wrong one, Matthew 19, and verse 22. And when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He didn't want to let go of that which he had. He didn't want to give up that which he had for Christ. Here's the thing. Can I ask you as a question? If you're not, maybe you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord as your Savior. For at the price of your soul in eternity, are you willing to give up everything that you have that you may gain Christ? Ask it to the Christian and non-Christian alike. Whoever's here. Are you willing to say, Lord, whatever it is, it's yours. He owns it anyway. And if you're not saved, are you willing to say, I'm surrendering my life. I want to give my life to you, Lord. I want to be right in your sight. And should you say, "Thy fool this night, thy soul shall be required of thee, then I know that I will be with Christ, which is far better. Are you willing tonight to, if the Lord's speaking to you and you know that he's stirring your heart to take that step of faith and to say, Lord, tonight, yes, as for me, Lord, it's heaven for me. It's Christ for me. I want to be in heaven. I need forgiven. The young man heard the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Verse 23, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, Notice that a rich man shall hardly enter into the the kingdom of heaven. Why did Jesus say that? Because they had the mindset that a rich man, these are powerful men now, a rich, powerful man will not enter the kingdom of heaven because he's fixed on the riches. He despises the poor as it were, the five-eighths. He despises the the men and the women of society. In other words, he has the power to trample over them. He's an elitist. He's an elitist. Before we close this, I'll show you more. Verse 25. When his disciples heard this, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, who then can be saved? See that exceedingly amazed just by, by the way. The original Greek text, there's it, it, some good, there's it, some good explanations of it, but a, a more modern one if you want, an explanation for our age would be, it gives the idea of someone letting, taking the valve out of a car tire and letting the tire down. Jesus says a rich man can hardly enter into the kingdom. And they're looking at each other thinking, but sure the blessing means he will be there because he can even pay his way, take his riches even to the grave like the Egyptians done and bury it all around him. Jesus says he'd be more fixed and focused on his riches than the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed, and this is the way it goes. What the idea was the wind was taken out of their sails. <laughs> you thought you were laughing at me, weren't you? <laughs> you laughed at me too. <laughs> Who then can be saved if men like this, if, if this isn't God's blessing in men like this, they're looking at the, the riches. You you can look at the church. You can look at the denomination. You can look at the pomp and the ceremony and the ritual and all the things they do. And then you walk into a, a, a tent that flaps about in the wind and leaks sometimes whenever it's raining. And, and your, your, your church might be a bit damp here and there sometimes because of the condensation with a concrete floor. And there's no nice carpet. But I'll tell you, it's not in there and it's not in here. It's in Christ. You're in a place where God is. It's where Christ is. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Stay with me here to show you this. Who then can be saved is the question. Verse 26, But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible. Would you say impossible? Impossible would you say with men, with men this is impossible? Would you say it loud and clear? With men, but with God, would you say all things, are all things are possible? Salvation is off the Lord. The impossibility, I mean the utter, total the of our human nature tells us it is absolutely, definitely impossible for us to save ourselves. But God. So, James five, please. That's my introduction. <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah. It really is, but I'm just closing this up here. Thank you. James 5, verse 1. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that come upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth eaten. Now, take note of this. Take note of this. James is speaking to the elitists of his day. But then he runs us into the last days. The last days. Verse 7. Be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. The early rain was that which started to spread up the crop. You know what the latter rain was for? To mature it. And the Lord will come back. And he's looking for men and women in the church with maturity. Maturity in the faith. James is taking uh, the stance of an Old Testament prophet against them. Be ye also patient and establish your hearts, he says in verse 8, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Look at verse 20. Notice what he says in in verse 20, the very last verse. Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save his soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. So the latter end of James' letter ends abruptly, but it does not end ineffectively. Revelation 18 for me, please, if you will. Revelation 18. And I'm just going to jump across this as I run this into a close for there's far too much Uh, In this chapter. Now the Lord has given John. On the Isle of Patmos. He's given him a vision. And it's the book of Revelation. That is written out of that. And it says in verse 1. After these things. I saw another angel come down from heaven. Having great power. And the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice. Saying Babylon the great, has fallen. Has fallen has become the habitation. Of devils. And the hold of every foul spirit and cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Notice this now. For all nations have drunk of the wine of her, of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich though, pardon me, through the abundance of her delicacies. And here the Lord in this first part of Revelation 18 is speaking of economical Babylon. The gaining off the riches. He's speaking to the elitists of the world. He's speaking to the banking cartels. Do you want to know who the winner's going to be between Israel and Gaza or the Hamas? Do you know who the winner's going to be? The bankers. Because there's thousands dying. The bankers fund wars on both sides. Russia and Ukraine, the bankers. The banking families and the banking cartels. The Bilderbergers. The Rothschilds. The Goldman Sachs. And the Soros. And all of those cartels will end up with more. More wealth that they don't know what to do with, while they come to governments, British government, the Irish government, the American government, and we can go on. And really, the governments are allowed, even Amshir Rothschild, away 120, 30 years ago, a paraphrase, because I'm sorry, I don't have it written down, but he said, basically, you can run all of the nations you want. You can run your governments as you like but I'm the one who controls it ultimately with the money. In Revelation 2 and 9, Revelation 3 and 9, the Lord says, there are those who say they are Jews. I told you about them, didn't I? They're not Judahites. They're not true Israelites. But those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. They are the synagogue of Satan. And brothers and sisters, these these cartels who are almost invisible and running things behind the scenes. Uh, we see the like, and I speak often of much of of uh, I speak often. much and I can't remember his name now. Where do you call him? <laughs> What's his name? The fourth industrial revolution. Jo- who? Klaus Schwab. How did I forget his name? The Lord's blessing me with forgetfulness sometimes with these things. We hear of Klaus Schwab and I told you of other people the other week. Listen, brothers and sisters. Yes, while they're all there, they have all the money. We see it all. And while all that's happening, there's even more behind them again. Cartels running the place. And this is Babylon around the world. We have economical Babylon. We have ecclesial Babylon who are who are gathering in all nations under themselves of all religions and faiths. The Abrahamic world center where Judaism and all forms of Christianity and Islam are all now to worship together in the Middle East. Told you last week the little spot of the land of Israel are, of, it is a very crux between the, the African continent I'm trying to do it your way. The African continent, European continent, the Asian continent, and the Australasian continent. And it's the very heart of it all. And it was the Rothschilds who bought up the swales of land and promoted the Zionism. Brothers and sisters, there's more behind the scenes than you know. There's more behind the scenes than we all know. And what we do know is only a little bit. Look behind what's happening. Everybody's focused on the land of Israel. Was Ukraine, now it's there. Brothers and sisters, watch this space to see what happens next. Try and look behind it. Try and see what else is going on. They're covering something up. They're moving something along. They're bringing something else into being that you and I are not privy to. And the people are dying over it. And the bankers are getting rich over it. And the word is, Go to now, ye rich men, and howl and weep. Go to now, ye rich men, and howl and weep. This isn't about businessmen that's running their business and working hard for the living and employing people. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with these people. Go to now, ye rich men, and howl and weep. He says, You're storing it up for the last days, he says, but the coming off the Lord draweth nigh. The coming off the Lord. So I finish with this. Thank you for your attention. If you're taking notes, jot this down, we'll not read it. Time's gone. In Revelation eighteen, verses one to three, we have description of the city from God's point of view. That is Babylon the city of Babylon. Not literal, but uh, spiritual city. In verse 4, we have the warning to the saints to come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, that ye receive not of her plagues. In verse 9, we have the world leaders and governments mentioned. And in verse 11 to 16, the commercial world. And then in verses 17 to 19, we have the maritime international trade. And so James says, go to now, ye rich man. So here's what I want to leave you with. I want to leave you with a saying from an old Puritan called John Trapp. Listen to this. Better weep here where there are wiping handkerchiefs in the hand of Christ. Than to have your eyes wiped out in hell. Better to howl with men than to yell with devils. Going to read it and say it again. Going to read it and say it again. Better to weep here where there are wiping handkerchiefs in the hand of Christ than to have your eyes wiped out in hell. Better to howl with men than to yell with devils. Where would you be? Would you weep before Christ tonight? And He takes out, as it were, the handkerchief, metaphorically speaking, to dry your eyes from your sin. Weep before him tonight in repentance. Get yourself right with God. Get saved tonight. Or should he say, "Thy fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Thou could be yelling in hell with devils. Where will you be, friend? Can't pay it. You can't work it. You have to receive it by faith. You come to him tonight and Christ will forgive you. Christ will cleanse you of all your iniquity and sin. And you'll be on the road to heaven. The kingdom of God. May God bless you tonight. Thank you for your attention. May the Lord bless his word to all our hearts. Amen. Team, come we come up and we'll close this evening? That the people get a wee cup of tea. If you're not saved, you want to speak, I'm going to be about. Or Elder Andrew's there. Head Deacon here. Jeff and Pastor Glenn sitting here. Or myself. Or somebody else. Please see someone and don't leave without getting yourself right with God. May the